Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Welcome back to the Servants of Grace podcast and to our theology segment. Today, one of our listeners writes in and they want to ask, is Genesis 3.15, is this verse really the proto-evangelium? Yes or no? Well, this is a great question. And and just to start off with, yes, this verse does teach the proto-evangelium or the first gospel. The context of Genesis 3 is the fall. Eve eats of the apple from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the result of this is that they realize that they're naked and thus clothed themselves. Well, God comes along looking for them and asking them where they are. The result is that Adam and Eve come out and tell God they're naked. And God says, how do they know that? Well, the result is the curse and the fall of man. And in the midst of this setting, then the passage on Genesis 3.15 is set, which says in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and you and between your offspring and her offspring and shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Dr. Kent Hughes says, what we have here is an astounding gospel prophecy because God's curse upon the serpent turned into a word of grace, giving what has been recognized from the 2nd century AD as the first gospel, the Proto-Evangelium, when the post-Apoloptic fathers, Justin Martyr and Irenaeus, preached that the woman's offspring, literally the seed here, referred to Christ who would crush Satan's head. This has been the church's position with little variation until the rise of modern biblical criticism, which views it as nothing more than a statement that there would be a perpetual conflict between humanity and the snake population in which humanity would ultimately triumph. Well, this view of the Proto-Evangelium is sustained by the fact that in Galatians 3.16, Paul argues on the basis of the use of the singular seed in God's promise to Abraham that the word seed refers to Christ. Paul says this, Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offspring, referring to many, but to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Well, here in Genesis 3.15, we have a prophecy of the cross. When Satan would strike the heel of Christ, the suffering of the cross, but Christ would strike Satan head through his death and glorious resurrection. All Christians, those who are in Christ, participate in the crushing through Christ so that Paul could write in the conclusion of the book of Romans, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, Romans 16.20. Dr. Matthew says this, specifically, Paul identified Christ as a seed ultimately intended in the promissory blessing to Abraham. That's in with the passage that we just considered in Galatians 3.16. And Abraham's believing offspring includes the church. Now this further is developed in the Gospel of John where the spiritual dimension is at the forefront. Jesus alluded to our verse when he indicated that the Pharisees as children of the devil because of their spiritual apostasy, contrary to their claims to be the offspring of the righteous Abraham. Now John uses similar imagery when he contrasted God's seed and those who are of the devil in 1 John 3.7-10. This is heightened by his appeal to Cain's murder of righteous Abel as a paradigm of one who belonged to the evil one in 1 John 3, 11 through 15. Well, finally, Revelation describes the red dragon who is identified as that ancient serpent in Revelation 12, 9, opposing the believing community, i.e. the woman, 
and plotting the destruction of her child, namely the Messiah. Ultimately, that ancient serpent is destroyed by God for his deception of the nations in Revelation uh, 22 and 7 uh, through 10. Now, it's essential for the Christian to understand how Christ understood and viewed himself. Christ understood the first gospel in Genesis 3.15. In John 3.14-16, he said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Well, Christ's reference here goes back to Numbers 21, where due to Israel's sin, God sent venomous snakes into the camp so that many people died and were dying. Now, Moses prayed amidst the death in verses 8 through 9, and they say this, And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Well, the details of this event are remarkable. The snakes were the result of sin. In fact, the perfect expression of sin because it was a serpent who tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, thereby bringing sin into the world. Our very natures have been polluted by the serpent's venom. Paul says in Romans 3.10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Above the dying people, we see the likeness of a serpent lifted up on a pole, foreshadowing Christ, who was made to be sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And it's significant that Moses elected not to use an actual serpent, but a likeness. The symbolism would not have been uh, so exact and perfect if he had used a literal snake. Now, our Lord became sin for us. Romans 8.3 says, God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So with all the animal realm from which to choose, God chose the perfect representation of the serpent. On the cross, our Lord took the sins of the world upon himself as symbolized by the writhing serpent. We dare not miss the meaning of this in relation to our faith. Numbers 21.9 says, If a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. The command to look at the uplifted servant was a gracious foreshadowing of looking to the crucified Christ for our salvation. This is why the Lord in John 3.14 said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Moses raised that serpent up high in the camp, and all the dying Israelites had to do was look to that pole and be saved. No matter how horribly they were bitten, no matter how many times they had been bitten or how sick they were, the opportunity for salvation was there. Dr. Ross says this, This struggle between good and evil would always be there in the human race, but ultimately the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent's seed. The real beauty of Genesis 3.15 is that even the most degraded and miserable sinners who look to Christ alone for our salvation will be saved. Out of the chaos, God answers that he is incredibly interested in his creation. Out of the chaos, God brings forth his grace and beauty. This great grace had its origins in the and image in the first gospel in the garden. There was hope in paradise lost. You see, there is hope today, but only in Christ alone. And that's why it's so significant that we understand that the, the gospel is not 
First in the in the New Testament, the gospel begins at the very beginning, even right after the fall. That's significant. That's important. That shows that God is not disinterested. He is interested. And that means that you have a choice. Just as Jesus, when he preached, he, he, had, he gave people a choice. He called for all of life's submission. This is why this is why people abandoned him. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus calls them out, the disciples. And he, he tells them, look, in Luke 9, 51, he's, he's about to set his face towards Jerusalem, towards towards his death on the cross. And what, what that's so important, even just before that, Jesus says to count the cost, to pick up the cross and follow him in all of life in Luke 9, 23. That's true for you today, just as it is for me. But even back in Genesis, we see the first gospel. The gospel is not something new. The gospel is the power of God, Romans 1, 16, to save. And it's also good news for the Christian because it's through the gospel that we are, Romans uh, 8, 31, through 39 says held secure by the hand of of god and down to the nanosecond we are held secure by the grace of god and when we sin first john 2 1 tells us that we have an advocate before the father that's good news he pleads our case because of the righteousness of christ he he says no that that one over there that one is not guilty that's good news so trust that good news trust that good news and as you do know romans 8 1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.